0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 1. As Charles called it, the wisdom of Solomon. And Charles read to you that text in 1 Kings that God gave him wisdom and it showed up in his inspired writings. Writings that were a uh, thousand of them that were Psalms about the glory of God and 3000 about the living out of that glory that were proverbs about skill in life, because that is what wisdom does. It draws you to the throne of God and it shows your love out there to mankind. Uh, proverb. Is really, and I've, I've never ever taught Proverbs because there's 31 chapters and about 30 Proverbs a pop, which comes to almost a thousand verses, and they're all sermons in a sentence. You can preach a sermon on one proverb. So we're going to be here for about 10 years. All right? Just kidding. Well, we're, we're going to mix it up. But with a whole lot of people, Proverbs is their book, it's right in the middle of the Bible, and it's their book because Proverbs is like, uh, you ever put DMSO on? Anybody ever use DMSO? I think it's illegal, but do you use it? <laughs> yeah, you rub it on uh, a joint or something, and when you rub it on, you can taste it in about three seconds. It goes straight into you, and you can taste it. That's Proverbs. Proverbs goes straight into you. Uh, it's a sermon in a sentence. The, uh, if you want to take a lot of ideas and pack it down into Hebrew poetry. Proverbs is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't try to rhyme two lines. It synthesizes two lines. It'll have a a line and then a complement, or a line and a contrast or um, a line and an explanation. And so it's called uh, uh, parallelism. It, It gives a thought on flip side of a thought. And just like we have certain Proverbs that are great ideas in just a short little pithy statement. For instance, um, if you want to teach somebody that saving money is just as important as making money. Is it possible to know how to make money and not how to keep it? Yeah, and that's why we say, you don't have to preach on that. You just say, a penny saved is a penny earned. It's just as hard to save a penny as it is to make a penny. Or if you wanna show somebody to be responsible early on to deal with stuff early on and not wait, you can just say, a stitch in time saves nine. A pound, how does it? A a pound of something is worth six tons of whatever. (laughs) An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Thank you, Steve. That way, you don't have to talk about stuff. You just say, announce the prevention. If you want to say you need to be wise early because the longer you act stupid, the stupider you look, all you need to say is, there's no fool like an old fool. See? And so Proverbs takes broad ideas and brings them down. It's one of the books that I read it And honestly, I think no human on his own could write this. They really couldn't. It's just too precise and too too hermetically sealed so tight. The word proverb in Hebrew, mashal, M-A-S-H-A-L, means to be like or to represent to where you show a physical something and it opens up into a larger idea. One commentator said that it's like you take a purple grape and you roll it around on the inside of your mouth and then you press it and it explodes with taste. And that is what Proverbs is. You at the first reading, you wonder, I wonder what that means. Uh, to a famine. Now, what is it? To a sated man. Uh, any sweet thing is bitter. But to a famished man, anything, uh, the bitter, or something like that, it it tastes good, all right. In other words, or it's like the Hakawi Indians saying, bark never bitter to hungry squirrel, all right. What show was the Hakawi Indians on? Anybody know? F Troop, thank you. My age group, we're down here. And that's what, what was the name of that tribe? The Hakawi, because they get lost and say, we're the Yeah. Are you with me, buddy? <laughs> you and I. And so that's what proverbs is. Is it it just shows you a, a physical thing and then it opens up into this canyon. Or one guy said that it's wisdom in the cracks. That you can say love God, love your neighbor. Oh, I can do that. Really? You ever heard devils in the details? To live that out? Like when a couple gets up and has a marriage vow and everybody's cheering and you're going, yeah, sure. (laughs) We'll see how y'all do when you're running around naked. (laughs) All right. I believe that's in Proverbs somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how you do. Let's see. And that's the way that Proverbs is. It's wisdom down in the cracks on the stuff you don't get to talk about. Now you talk about it. You ever been to get your teeth cleaned? And uh, the dentist looks at you and go, hey, look pretty good. You've been flossing and you lie, you know. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. And he says, well, I tell you, we'll let our hygienist get in here. And here comes a woman called Brunhilde. (laughs) She starts in there. I had a hygienist one time. And this was the only time I'd ever been to any kind of a doctor that I was trembling, literally. When I was in there, she opened up this water pick. You ever had a water pick? This water pick would cut through a bank vault. I kid you not. There were blood and plaque and stuff all over that office. And I was just shaking when I got out of there. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but that's what Proverbs is. We're going to open up the water pick on you. Okay. And so you can entitle this book, uh, Get on the Guilt Train, because that's what it is. Nobody will, will escape this, this book, okay? If you wanna elbow your mate, feel free, okay? I'd ask you not to stand up and point. In Proverbs verse two and three, the word to, tio is mentioned four times as to the nature of Proverbs, that it's to do this and it's to do that. It says in verse two, To know wisdom. Wisdom is the divine perspective of truth. It's not what the professor says. It's not what the president says. It's not what whoever says. It's what God says. That is wisdom. And so Proverbs is to illumine you to the narrow way called the Bible. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You're to know what man can't know. Unless God tells him. And in verse 2. It is to know wisdom and instruction. Because wisdom is not instinctive to man. Any of y'all with kids. Have you noticed this? They're not instinctively holy children. And they have to have structure. Put in them. Which is the word instruct. You've got to come from the outside. And put it in you. And so this is the uh, word of God that has to come from God to men and is going to require the mediation of a teacher to show them like the Bible, like your parents, like the church to show it. And so this is wisdom and instruction. And in verse two, to discern the sayings of understanding, it's to let you stand under something and see what it really is. You're not just following teaching by rote. You understand. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book once, really good, called God in the Dock. Where you did God like a ship that would come into port. And you raise it up, and you suspend it, and you can go 360 all around that thing. And investigate it and check it. And it was called God in the Dock. And that is what the Bible does. It puts God in the Dock. And it raises it up and it lets you see exactly why the Bible says what it does. C.S. Lewis also said that when he was a kid, his parents, his mother would take him to the, to the, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, to the plays, to the theater. And he always liked after the play to have his mother take him around backstage and to look at it from where the actors were. He liked to see what was be, behind the set. He saw the facade. He wanted to see all that was behind it. And he wanted to see the orchestra pit. That's where it came out of. And that's what the Bible does. It lets you get behind the scene. It starts prior to evil. And you see the serpent, the nature of his temptation, the nature of the the solution and the seed of woman. And really in the first two chapters of the Bible, you get behind it and you answer all the big questions. Right there. And so it gives you understanding. And in verse 3, it gives you instruction and wise behavior. The wisdom has to be instructed. The instruction is to give you an understanding, an intelligence. And then the outworking is behavior. That it changes your life. It has to get into you. The Proverbs percolate through you and they begin to alter your life. You ever heard me give the illustration, I I should have done it this morning, to where you take, you remember when uh, Coke and Dr. Pepper used to come in glass bottles? Anybody remember that? And you would take a Coke bottle, empty it, and you would stuff it full of wire. And you would say, this is the way your brain is before you're saved. It's all conformed to the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The world has you conformed, and you can't get outside of yourself. That's man. And then you take, you always want to take a paper sack to do this. Okay. You put the bottle in a paper sack and you take a sledgehammer and you say, this is conversion. And you smash it. Now, what would you imagine the wire is going to look like when you smash it? Well, it'll all straighten out. No, it doesn't. You hold up the wire and you know what it looks like? A Coke bottle. It's still in the shape of the pressure that's been on it. And what you have to do is take every bend and every kink and straighten it out. That is called the Christian life. You thought this was love. Ow, 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 yeah. That's love. You thought that was purity? No, this is purity. You thought this was equity? No, this is equity. And God now straightens you out. And so the purpose of Proverbs is to change your life to get you to behave. And that behavior is righteousness, justice, and equity. Righteousness is the upright character of God. Justice is how it is applied toward fellow humans. Equity is how it looks at the touch, that you treat them with an equality that all men have dignity in the image of God. Amen? Yes, to Black Lives Matter. Yes, to who? Everyone as do Hispanic lives and Aggies and everybody out there, that they all have equality because they're in the image of God. And so can you have equality without justice and divine righteousness? No, you have attributes with no base for it. And so it's supposed to change how you treat human beings. Now, you might be saying, Tom, you just gave me the answer to all of human problems. Wisdom to be instructed in, to give you an understanding with wise behavior and love of your fellow men. Did we just solve the problems of man? We did in two sentences. Uh, Equity, give you a good example of this. There was a poll taken years ago about who was the greatest hero in the history of movies. Who would you think? You think John Wayne? Uh, who would have been the hero, George Bailey? It was Atticus Finch. What movie are we talking about? Killa Malkinberg, Gregory Peck, was regarded as the greatest hero in the history of movies. You know why? Righteousness, justice, and equity. That this black man was accused of what he didn't do down in the South, everybody's against him. Atticus Finch stands. One of the greatest scenes in the history of the movie is after the guilty charge is made. And it crushes those that are in the know and especially the African-Americans that are in the top of of the balcony. And everybody leaves. And Gregory Peck, Atticus Finch stands up to leave. And up in the balcony is Jim and Scout, his children. And they're sitting with the black clientele on the top. And as Atticus walks out, the black pastor comes to his feet. And the black crowd comes to their feet. And Jim says, what are y'all doing? He said, stand up Jim, your father's about to pass. And it's silence as they all stand in the presence of this man who would not back down. Isn't that something? And he's the greatest hero it's felt in the history of movies. And that's why people tend to love Jesus because there is wisdom and justice and equity. If you're the woman at the well or if you're Nicodemus, it don't matter to me. You're all the same. And if you're a bad guy, I'm going to call you a bad guy. That's courage. And so in verse four, are you with me already? No human could have written verse two and three. No human could come up with it. In verse uh, four, this is the recipient of Proverbs. It's to give prudence to the naive, which is a short term for the K-N-A-V-E. What word is that? The knave, the young guy. That's why in churches they would have a nave up close where the young and the early converts would sit in the naive, in the naive. My Bible uses the word, which is a good word, also translated simple. An immature person is simple. An ignorant person is simple. A child is simple, which is simple means singular. A simple number, a simple uh, element, a simple chemical is one singular thing. In a human, simplicity is used in the Bible in a good sense and in a bad sense. We are to have the the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We're not double minded. But in the area of foolishness, you're not to be simple. Simpleness is when you do what you feel, when you do what you externally see, when you do what somebody tells you to do. When you, uh, one of the guys at Calvin Clark that runs uh, kind of our inner city ministry, he said in all of his work with the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, he would find a lot of kids in the inner city would struggle because of simplicity. That all the guys with all the bling and all the looks and all the women were a lot of times the drug dealers. And they didn't look past that to differentiate. That's where this road takes you right here. And so Christ would talk about the narrow way and the broad way and the house on the sand, the house on the rock. They look the same, but they don't end up the same. And so wisdom is when you are not simple, when you can think in antithesis. That's why it has been said that the greatest contribution to the humankind has been made from the Jew that taught us how to think in antithesis. That is wrong. That is right. Thus saith the Lord. That is best. That's better, but this is best this is bad. And so the ability to have moral discretion. And so this book is for the simple or in verse four, for the youth. A child does not have intuitive wisdom. Uh, that's why they can embarrass you in public. Okay. A child has to learn by two ways. They can learn By precepts, don't do this. Or you can learn, if you don't want to learn by precepts, you learn by pain. And that's where you experience it. Or you can learn a priori, before you do it, don't do this. Or you can learn after you do it, where you get your a posteriori kicked. Okay? And that's where you violate the word. And you feel the pain of violation. And so the book of Proverbs is for the youth to learn preceptively so he doesn't have to learn the hard way. Amen. That's why the Bible says rise up before the gray headed because they've been beaten up in life. Uh, the, the gray head is found in the way of righteousness because if they've been really evil, they're probably dead, okay? And so you learn from the gray head. So that's the recipient to the guy who wants to learn moral discretion. Question, will a college teach you moral discretion? Used to, but not now. Can schools teach you moral discretion? They used to. But now it's illegal. Did y'all know that? It's illegal. In Canada, you better not say anything in your speech that confers guilt on sexual sin or it's worthy of an arrest. That's why next week they're calling pastors to preach about sexual purity in honor of what is about to happen in Canada and what is about to happen in Denton if it gets passed. And so if the bible is not there now you don't have a chance to make moral discernment and so you're going to have to learn two generations later when your civilization collapses right cuba right germany right russia right all of you guys that have punted biblical truth it will catch you after a while and then in verse five and six, with that bit of encouragement, here is the requirement of Proverbs. Number one, you have to be a wise man to hear an increase in learning. You have to be what is called teachable. That's why a lot of times you'll come into a youth group and they say, Tom, would you come up and speak about the things of God? And you hear this big expulsion of air. <sighs> And I know that I do not have hungry people here. There's an old Chinese adverb that says this. I used to have a coach that would always say there's an old Chinese adverb. It's an old Chinese proverb. It says this. There is a man who does not know and does not know that he does not know. Run from that man. There is a man who does not know but knows that he does not know. Teach that man. Steve Poe, aren't they the best students? Those that know, they don't know. Steve's a professor. There is a man who knows but doesn't know that he knows. Encourage him. And there is a man who knows and knows that he knows. Follow him. But whenever you get around somebody that does not know but think they know? Run. Well, this guy knows, or rather he knows that he doesn't know. That's why in the Bible, you're always to flee. What kind of lust? Youthful lust. Because youths have not learned it by experience, and they will go with how they feel. And so... A man is to know that he needs discretion. That's why there's only one youth in the Bible. At the age of 12, he gets lost. If your child was in the sixth grade and got lost, where would you go looking for him? At the gap? At uh, uh, wherever gummy bears are? Uh, You would go find him at, at the McDonald's play yard. How many of you would go to the church where he would be sitting among the pastors asking questions and listening? Who are we talking about? Jesus. And that's before his bar mitzvah. He's still a kid, but he's hungry to know. He's the perfect teenager. And so you've got to be teachable. You've got to know that you don't know. And then secondly, there has to be an effort In verse five, Uh, he will acquire wise counsel. Y'all remember the, uh, what was it called? Kung Fu with Cain, David Carradine. What was the name of that? Is it Kung Fu? Buddy, you know all, see y'all. It wasn't okay. You remember he's gonna be a Shalin Prince, uh, a priest, I mean, and he shows up at the gate of the man with no eyes, all right? the blind guy who's going to teach him and he makes him sit in the rain for about three days because he has to know that this guy knows that he doesn't know. He's got to be hungry. Then I can teach him. Until he is that, you can't. Mortimer Adler, the great educator said, the problem with American colleges is that there's too many people in college. He said, you can't teach a teenager because he's still under the illusion of the mirror and he thinks he can't see any body parts falling off of him yet. And that's when you get wise. He said, you should let a kid be a teenager, graduate high school, and then go be in the military, or let him go learn a trade. And then when he's beaten up a little bit, then let him come to school. Steve, did you ever have classes on people in second career deals that would come at the age of 45 and 50 to learn? Were they ideal classes? They were there for business. They were not gonna drop out. They were not gonna waste their money because that money came hard because there's no scholarships to second degree or second career people. And that's generally who professors love to teach are 40-year-olds who are coming back to school because they really mean to do something else. They're your ideal students. And so you've got to be teachable. You've got to know that you don't know. And in verse seven, you have to have the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. You don't have to prove to a person the existence of God. You fear him intuitively and innately. The Bible doesn't debate God. It simply says, the beginning, there was a beginning, and it was God who created the stars and the earth as central to the creation. And it just starts right there. The Bible will not argue with you about God. It is innate. It goes like this. Uh, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They know it's true, but you supra-pressure it. You push it down underneath the, the water so it won't come up on you. You won't deal with it. Man will not embrace a system that condemns him. And sends him to a cross and to a Bible and to an incarnation. He won't do that. He'll, find, he'll make God the creation. He'll make good and evil equal and opposite, that you master one. He'll earn heaven, heaven being no better than him. But he will not come to the Bible, to the Savior, and to Calvary. He will press it down. He'll argue his way around virginity, he'll argue his way around lying. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. How do they know the truth? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to him. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, understood through his workmanship, so that they are without excuse. You know he's there. Nobody in the Bible goes to hell because they're stupid. Aren't you, glad? You go to hell because you think you're smart. That's why. And so we start with God. If you don't start with God in wisdom, you're always going to be begging the question, says who? Says grandma. Who's your grandma? See, who's his name? John Paul Sartre, the existentialist. He once said that unless there is an infinite reference point, all singular points are meaningless. That if you're going to talk about good, evil, bad, marriage, sex, purity, those are meaningless terms unless you have an infinite personal reference point. What is the only infinite personal reference point? God, not just a God, but Yahweh, the God of the Bible, unless you have him. That's why Voltaire said, if there is no God, you better invent one. That's why another guy said, everybody's an atheist, but you want your wife, your banker, and your tailor to be Christians. I want my wife to be a Christian. I need to know what she's doing, that she's faithful. I need my banker to be a Christian because I don't want him to steal my money. And I want my tailor to be a Christian because I need a good work ethic when I get up in front of people. So my clothes won't look like I'm five pounds of dirt in a three pound bag, you know? I need to know that there's a work ethic out there. And so atheism's okay if you're in a classroom. It doesn't work if you're out in life. You want a great story? I got a Bible study with a guy in the Bible study named Bob Lilly, y'all remember him? the Dallas Cowboy, played back in the 60s. Bob was from Throckmorton, Texas. He went to school at Texas Christian University. Texas Christian University. And uh, it had gone liberal. He said, unless you were a Mormon, a Muslim, or a Catholic, you had to take Bible classes. And he said, I took Bible classes. And he said, all of the professors had denied the supernatural of the Bible, every one of them inerrancy, the deity of Christ, the death by his death on the cross, resurrection, creation, all of them. And he said, they systematically destroyed the faith of those people. Bob said, I stayed faithful because I had a father and a mother and a grandfather that were godly, and these guys couldn't line up against my grandparents. But he said, I listened to this guy for a whole year. And he said, we came to the end. And you got to hear Bob telling this, because Bob's a very soft-spoken fellow. And he said, so I waited till the end of the year. And uh, I thought he was going to say, I beat this guy to death. (laughs) But, But he didn't say that. He said, I waited till the end of the year, and we had to take our test. And he said, I saw a guy that I knew had made 100. And he said, I took his test, and I copied it down all the questions. And then I presented it and I made a hundred. The teacher looked at me though. And he said, there's no way you made a hundred. He said, you copied this guy's test. And Bob said, of course I did. He said, why'd you do that? He said, I cheated. And he said, you can't do that. And Bob said, yes, I can. You said I could. When you said there is no final standard. I choose to make an A and you have to give it to me. Now it helps to be rich and big. <laughs> if you're going to do this. Okay. The, the guy gave Bob a zero, but his, his other grades were good enough so that I passed the course. But Bob said, I just wasn't going to let this guy say that and not live that. And so I pushed him. I told him, I said, it would have been a lot better if you'd have just grabbed him by the throat and said, would you like to die? I'd like you to die. But he didn't. He just pushed him to that limit. You can believe this, but you can't live this. That's why when you see Antifa tearing up everything, what do you see? Do you see old men throwing things? A, they can't. And B, they got more sense. Yes, revolutions are a young man's sport, okay? And so it won't work. Well, you have to have the fear of God. When I was in Russia years ago, we went about Russia, and I was an alien in a foreign land, but I had an interpreter named Galena Fotina, and wherever I went, she was my voice. She was my ears when people would talk to me. And I loved going to Russia. But I never got out of eyeshot of that woman. Because I was secure with her, because this was her terrain. And I was okay. But if I couldn't find her, I didn't know the difference between vodka and the banyo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even know if that is the banyo. But without her, I was in trouble my blood pressure would shoot up if I could not find this little lady. That's the fear of God. I had a reverence for Galena because apart from her, I didn't, I couldn't perceive reality where I was. That's God. And that's why you never want to get away from God. You want to make it to where if God moves, that you'll fall flat because you're leaning on him. Amen. You're not going to learn that generally through school, but you're going to learn that through life. That's why atheistic ideologies, Mr. Marx, how did it work? Mr. Stalin, how did it work? Castro, uh, who's the famous communist guy in, in Bolivia? Che Guevara, it didn't work. All of you guys, it didn't work. Christ still stands. We can't go beyond him. Well, the fear of God is followed by in verse eight and nine. You've got to have a proper teacher. So we've got the nature of Proverbs, the recipient of Proverbs, the requirement of Proverbs. But in verse four, who's our teachers? Look close. Who's it say? Father and mother. The kid isn't going to pick it up and read it by himself. Look at him. And the Ten Commandments, the first four are about God. The last five are about man. Right in the middle are parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord that you may live long upon the earth. And so it's the first commandment with a promise. The the Ten Commandments are written to adults that are to learn and put in the kids. First about God, then about man. That's why there's nothing in the Bible about schools. They're good, they evolve, that's okay. But you're to learn about God from the people that you observe the most. That is the most important. Can you know the word of God and make it happy in life though you make minimum wage? Yes, you can. Can you be vastly wealthy and completely self-destruct on everything you touch? Yeah, because you don't know the Bible. So you've gotta have parents. I have a buddy named Jerry who ran the Paul Anderson Youth Home. That's where you take kids that are on the way to reformatories and to prison, you give them their last chance. He told me once, he said, I never had a kid that had a good father, not one. My son, John Clark, is a cop down in Fort Worth. He's a detective. And he told me when he was doing a beat, he would go out on a domestic call, he would walk into the house, and he said, I always saw the same thing. I saw three kids with different names, one mother. And no father present. Always. And he said, as soon as I would walk in, the kids would gravitate to me and just come up close to me. Why do you think, Steve, the kids would come close to a cop? Authority. He was well-dressed. He was sharp. He was strong. What's that? Boom, boom. That's my Kevlar. Yeah, so I don't get shot. What's that? That's my weapon. So I can shoot you. Yeah. What's that? That's mace so I can blind you and stop you. What's that? He'd say, that's my baton. Is it a club? No, it's not a club. It's a baton. What do you do with it? a I club people. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the kids would overall just like magnets to him because they'd never seen a man that represented good with a star on him, a shield on him and would stand there. And he said, I always wanted when I left to pick him up and take him with me. Because he said, if I didn't, I always thought I just ought to go ahead and arrest him now. That's why a lot of youth programs, you may not know this, are started and run by police, ex-police. As a matter of fact, the guy that took a guy, young guy named Cassius Clay was on the way in Louisville to beat up a guy that took his bicycle. He ran into a cop that had a deal in the city where he would take young men, teach them how to box. He got in with him and became Muhammad Ali. Well, what they will do if you listen to them in verse nine, they will be a graceful wreath, meaning you'll have honor as a winner and you'll have ornaments or necklaces around your neck. You'll be beautiful the chances are it's talking to a boy and a girl. You'll be an honorable man and a beautiful woman if you follow them. Well, I could go ahead and close, but in verse 10, we've got another voice. Look close at verse 10. My son, here's somebody else talking to you. Sinners entice you. That word entice, entice. Uh, is the word that means, uh, again, that means the word simple. If they call to you to do what you see or what you feel, be careful. It's a trap. You know what the word entice is in Greek? There's, you can probably guess this. There's only one New Testament author that uses the Greek word on entice because it means to bait a hook. To bait a hook, you have to create an illusion to a trout that that's really a mosquito. But it ain't. Once you get there, it's a hook. And I've got you. Who do you. And that's the word enticed in Greek. To bait a hook. Who do you, what disciple you think might have used to bait a hook? Matthew, is that what you said? You ought to be embarrassed. Too. It's Peter. What was Peter's job? Fisherman. That's the way you catch a fish. And that's the way that Satan catches a human. You really want this? Really? Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. When sinners come and they're going to say, verse 11, come with us. That's what you call companionship. We're going to have friends here. Let's lie in wait for blood. we got power. Ambush the innocent without cause. We've got freedom. No boundaries on us. God does not restrict us. We'll swallow them alive like shield as they go down to the pit. They've got pride. We're like gods. We'll find all kinds of precious wealth. We got money. We'll fill our houses with spoil. We're gonna have bling and prestige. Throw in your lot with us and we'll have one purse. We're gonna be the gang. We're gonna be hell's angels. We're gonna be Crips and Bloods. We're gonna be the Diablos. We're going to be the renegades. We're going to be the clan. We're going to be the Aryan Brotherhood. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. What am I talking about? West Side Story. Story. (laughs) 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 Kendall Lucas met Jamie Lucas during the filming of West Side Story. Did you know that? At Oklahoma Baptist University. He was a shark. He got killed. All right. My buddies and I are getting real well known. Well, the bad guys know us and they leave us alone. Who am I singing? Beach Boys. Buddy, are you with me? Yeah. Hey, hey, with the monkeys. We're the young generation, and we've got something to say. Idiots. Say <laughs> you got voices. Amen. When you send your kid to school, beware there's voices, and you better have wisdom to discern. Well, in verse At the end of verse 10, what do you say? Don't consent. You say, no, no. Because in verse 15, don't even get in the way. Stay out of the path. Don't even get near them. Because here's what they, and he finally invents, uses a word in verse 16. Their feet run to, what's the word? Evil. Let's call it what it is. It's evil. And so they hastened to shed blood. He said, it's useless to spread the baited net in the eyes of a bird. You ever tried to go out in nature and catch a wild animal? You ever, what's that shirt or that show out there? Naked and alone and nasty or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we take a bunch of, you know where we are in uh, the media when you got a show like that. We got a couple of naked people running around in the woods out here. Boy, what time's it start? And they're going to see if they can survive. How long do you think you could survive if you had to catch your own food? You'd get tired of ants after a little while. I mean, an animal, you can't fool him. He sees it coming. He hears you. He might. He takes off. Solomon says, it's hard to catch a bird, but stupid humans, they'll get into stuff in a heartbeat. He goes on to say in verse 18, they lie in wait for their own blood and they ambush their own lives. They self-destruct. You give them time and they self-destruct like the great words of Andy Dufresne in, uh, what was his movie? Shawshank Redemption. He said to Tommy, the guy that had been thrown in jail about five times, I think you need to change careers. You're not a real successful criminal. You self-destruct. You end up where there's nothing but evil out there. And in verse 19, that's the way of everyone who gains by violence. You have a temporary gain but it's going to take away your life. It's going to come back on you. In Chicago, back in the 1920s, there was a dentist that loved to hang around with the tough guys in the neighborhood. He wasn't a tough guy, but he loved to play cards with them. And one time he was playing the cards uh, mid-afternoon and uh, cops showed up. The guys were in Dutch, uh, they were in the Dutch Schultz mob and he loved to, you know, a lot of times guys love to, we, we have a fascination with criminals, you know. And so he's playing cards with them. All of a sudden, they pull open the doors and there's two Chicago cops. All right, lay it all out right here. It's illegal. All right. They've already paid off the cops. They're not afraid. Y'all stand up against the wall, turn your backs. And then all of a sudden they pull out submachine machine guns and they cut them all in half. And the the dentist gets cut in half. And he's the only one at the end that's got life in him. And one of the pseudo cops takes a double barrel and puts it to his head. Boom. Turned out they weren't cops. They were with Al Capone. Y'all know what day it was? St. Valentine's Day. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. That's called Satan's triad right there when you're doing something you shouldn't do with somebody you shouldn't be with someplace you shouldn't be you're going down wisdom will keep you out of it and so you've got to make the call as you go through life nobody else is going to help you but God and a proper influence Proverbs Come on back next week, I'm gonna show you some more. Everybody feel bad? Good, that's why we're here. Father in heaven, we think about him who is called in the Bible, the wisdom of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And so I pray, as Lord, we get our teeth cleaned here, Sunday after Sunday, as we just take time that there is a bit of humor in Proverbs because all of us have gotten on the dark side at some point. All of us have sinned. All of us can look and see where we might have been. All of us have loved ones and friends that uh, didn't take the exit and they're gone. They're gone. I think of buddies I had that uh, got hooked on drugs And tried to rob a Walgreens. Got shot right in the head. And they're gone. And so we all have friends and family. That didn't know when to walk away. And that's life. You can't set a net in the eyes of a wild creature. They're just too smart. But humans. Easiest job in the cosmos is being Satan. You just give them what they want. And so we pray you would make us wise Unto the high road, in Jesus' name, amen.